This is the, the, I guess the second smallest letter in, or second smallest book in the whole Bible. In the original language, it's only 245 words. I was thinking, boy, that's just like pretty much a couple tweets on Twitter, right? Aren't they 150 words a piece? So good, second John. So it starts this way, verse one. To the elder, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth because, uh, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace and mercy and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. So John doesn't identify himself right off the hop here. He doesn't say, hey, it's John the Apostle. But this is John the Apostle and Instead of identifying himself by name, he just refers to himself as the elder. And uh, it's interesting because John is like the last surviving member of the apostles at this point in time, right? He's, he's approaching the end of his life. He's in, he's in his mid-90s. He's getting close to 100 years old as he writes this letter. And, you know, the cool thing, the cool thing about that is this, is that, you know, that age is never a hindrance for the usefulness of God's people. It's not. You know, Moses was how old when he got called into the ministry? How old was he? He was 80. 80 years old. And, uh, you know, it's so, it's so cool that that's, that's not a history, it's not a hindrance to the Lord, to God's call. And John's in his mid-90s, man. He's still serving the kingdom of God and going about the work of the kingdom. And, you know, if you're, like, if you're an athlete, your career's over by your mid-30s, maybe, if you're lucky. And John's in his mid-90s, and he's still preaching Jesus and encouraging the body of Christ and God's people. And that's, that's good. And he says here, it, he, he doesn't identify, he, well, it says uh, he's writing to the elect lady and her children, which is definitely kind of uh, a different greeting or salutation than we see in most of the New Testament letters because it doesn't make it clear who the recipient of this letter is. It's just this elect lady and her children. And because of that, actually, Bible scholars kind of argue uh, there's a d or discuss, there's discussion about, you know, who John is writing to as, as he starts this letter. And there's some different views, and I just think that they're interesting to go over. You know, one of the suggestions is this, is that figuratively John is referring to a local church he, you know the church is a bride and so he uses this language towards the church and its members if you look at with me at the very last verse look what it says verse 13 the children of your elect sister send greetings to you so it's like well maybe two churches are corresponding back and forth here or you know some scholars believe it's just this general reference the elect lady a general reference to uh, the church in general, the universal church. And then others believe that the recipient is actually an individual woman who's hosting a church body within her household. And John is addressing her and her children. And so, I, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Whatever you want, pick, pick, pick your, make your choice. It doesn't really matter to the context of the letter in a sense. And it seems like the majority of scholars seem to favor this idea that John is referencing a local church and and uh, he's speaking in this metaphorical way as he, as he greets them and identifies the church. And so what, whatever choice you go with, it doesn't change the application of, of the letter. And so John says this about this lady. She's the, an, 
elect lady. The elect, meaning that God chose her. God chose her to belong to himself. And that's a beautiful thing when you think about it. We even speak of God as God with us, that God chooses us, that God elects us, that, that God looks at you and I and he, he would say, I pick you. Now here's the thing about the election of God is this, that the fact that God chooses means that he, he makes the initiative on his, his, his initiative of election based on his own character and goodness. That's what the scripture tells us, that he, Second uh, Peter tells us that God, that God chose us because of his own glory and goodness. Remember when you're in elementary school, I, re- I remember lining up against the school wall and the teacher had their designated captains and then the teams get picked, right? My mom always says, I was the last one picked. <laughs> My wife always says, I was the last one picked. Not me, that was them. No, <laughs> once in a while, we're always the last, once in a while we get to be the last one picked. But when we talk about God's election, God's election is not by accident. God chooses us, he picks us. He says, I take you, and it's based not on ourselves, what's in us, it's based on his own character and his nature, and he picks us, and it's not by accident. And so to be picked by the Lord, to be elected, to be called his child, is a privileged position. And so the elect lady and her children, this is to whom John is writing, and John, I don't know if you caught it, that word truth is in there so many times in those first few verses. Let's read it again. The elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in the truth, not only I, but also who know, all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever, grace and mercy and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. And so John uses that, that word, I think it's four times in there, in this opening salutation, And so what that tells us right off the hop here as we begin to get into 2 John, this just brief letter, is that truth is really important, that this matters. This is what John's theme is right here off the hop. He's going to talk about truth. And and so I guess if that's the case, it's important right off the hop here that we get a bit of a definition for truth. What is truth? What is truth? Remember John chapter 18? Jesus is taken, it's a story that you're familiar with. He's taken the night that he's arrested. He's taken to the headquarters of the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. And he's, he's there with Pilate. Um, and they're having this discussion. Jesus, Jesus is being interviewed, interrogated by Pilate. By the way, did you, did you see this week what they found historically about Pilate? Did you see that in the news? It's awesome, man. It's super awesome. If you, if you didn't, if you didn't know about this, there was a, a, a significant archaeological find this past week. It's being reported even in Canadian news, in Israeli news. But um, amongst some of the artifacts that they have uncovered in the last like 50 or 60 years, they found in the midst of these articles something that they had not yet identified. And it was a copper ring which had the insignia of Pontius Pilate on it. And they uncovered it in Jerusalem. It's like been in, in their coffers for a while. They just hadn't identified it. And now, I don't know if you know this. Like they, they're not actually saying this. I read a couple different articles with regards to this. But I'll tell you guys this. Um, 
It's kind of funny. Well, they're saying this about this ring. They're saying, well, you know, we're not so sure about it because it's like, it's a copper ring and it doesn't seem to fit with a governor. You know, it should be like something more precious, some sort of other kind of precious metal. But the fact of the matter is, is this, you know, this copper ring has the insignia of Pontius Pilate on it. And I just think, you know, Look, it's never good for those who deny the word of God to find archaeological evidence that supports the biblical account. And here's why that's important. You know that Pontius Pilate is a character that historians really argue about. Because there's not, in fact, until this last hundred years, there's never been any evidence that he existed. And so to find this ring is super significant. It's like, Wow, they found this ring. And, and Pilate's this interesting character who Bible critics love because they're like, yeah, there's no evidence for that guy. It's like the Romans kind of wiped him out of their, their history a little bit. And, and over the last hundred years, well, well, there's a super significant stone. When we go to Israel, we go and we see a replica of it in Caesarea. Those of you that have been there, we've stood before that stone. It has the name of Pontius Pilate on it. And it was super, super significant because it was the first artifact that they found that identified that this guy existed. And, you know, I just love how the Lord uses archaeology to back up his word. You know, what was the claim? The claim was this. Well, there's no evidence that Pilate ever existed. And what happened? The historians discovered that they already have items in their possession that, like, prove that he exists. They just hadn't, you know, identified them yet, that he was a true historical character. So, so pretty cool. This week, added to their coffers a copper ring with the insignia of a man they say never existed. And... It's like thinking you're broke, right? Find a hundred bucks in your wallet. It's never, never a hundred, but you know, sometimes the fiver's in there. And you're like, wow, sweet. I got coffee money. And you know, I love that because that, that is, the church was right all along, man. God's people. Right all along. Why? Because we put our faith in the word of God, not in the word of men. So John 18. Jesus is there, king of kings, right? You don't have to turn there in your Bible. The king of kings is standing before the Roman governor of Palestine. And the king, I always like to flip the story. The king graciously allows the governor to question him. That's how the story really goes, right? Make sure we get the facts right. What does Pilate say? He says, so you're a king. And Jesus answers and says, you say that I'm a king, and for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Remember, John's talking about truth here in this little letter that we have before us too. Jesus says, whoever listens to truth listens to my voice. What did Pilate say, that line that's so famous that we know? What did he say? What is truth? What is truth? So let's define truth. Truth basically means this. Truth means reality. It means we're dealing with reality. We're not dealing with facades. We're not dealing with fakes. We're not dealing with replicas. We're dealing with that which is reality as opposed to that which is just mere appearance. This is the real deal. This, you can put your teeth into this. 
And Jesus says, whoever listens to truth, listens to me. Listen, Jesus Christ is the truth. He's the truth. Jesus is reality. Like this is important that we grasp this. It's as simple as it is, Jesus is the real world. He's real world. He's reality. He is truth. Jesus is the state of things as they actually exist. Because sometimes in our humanity we go, oh, I'm not sure about spiritual things and Jesus and we have questions and our flesh ramps up against us and the spirit, the, the spirit of this world ramps up against us and sin and Satan and these different things. And what we need to know is this, is that Jesus is the state of things as they actually exist. He's more real than anything. His reality. Whoever listens to my voice listens to truth, he says to Pilate. Jesus said this in John 14, 6. He said, I, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus identified besides himself being the truth, he identified something else as truth. He said this in John 17, 7. 17, 17. He said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The word of God is true. So we know a couple things that are totally 100% reality when we're not sure about anything else. We need to know this as believers. Jesus is reality. The word of God is true. The word of God is true. And God has revealed his truth in, in the person of his son. He has revealed his truth in the pages of the scriptures, the Bible. But Jesus identified something else as truth or another person as truth. He said this in John 15, 26. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And so Jesus tells us what the truth is. He says this. I'm the truth, the word of God is true, and the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. So we need to know this as followers of Jesus. That what we have, what we deal with, is reality when we're dealing with Jesus, when we're dealing with the word of God, when we are dealing with the Holy Spirit. It's reality. I came across this quote, and I, I'm just going to like read it to you. It's, it's from Warren Wiersbe in, in and I like it as I was studying, he said this. The truth is not only objective revelation from the Father, but also subjective experience in our personal lives. Let me read it to you again. I should have I put it up on the screen for you. The truth is not only objective revelation from the Father, but also subjective experience in our personal lives. When we say the truth is objective revelation from the Father, that means this, that the truth, the truth of Jesus, the truth of his word, and the truth of his spirit is, is a truth that is not influenced by personal feelings or, or opinions when, when we consider it. It's like we're dealing with facts. We're dealing with realities like, like historians try to do. They try not to be objective, uh, sorry, they try to be objective and impartial. They're dealing with the facts. Let's deal with the evidence. And so Warren Wiersbe says this, that, 
that truth is objective revelation from the Father. We can deal with it as facts. But then he says that, well, you, yeah, you can know it in, in your head. You, you can know doctrine. You can know information. You can have knowledge. But biblical truth must also be subjective revelation. Which means this, it has to influence, I have to experience it. It has to touch my heart and my emotions and my life. I have to know. I know here and I know here. Objective, subjective. You know, how do I describe to you my feelings, my relationship with the Lord, the emotions that we experience in his presence? I can't give you facts on that. I can't like list this out. It's like it's the reality that I know, that you know, spending time with Jesus, being with his people, the reality of his presence. You can't, you can't define that. You can't describe that. It's something that you have to know in subjective revelation. And so I need to have objective revelation, knowledge, and it has to touch my heart. There's got to be relationship. It's got to be relationship. And so when it comes to knowing Jesus, when it comes to knowing that Jesus is the truth, when it comes to knowing that the word of God is true, when it comes to knowing that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, I have to have both. It's not just information. My heart has to be touched. I've got to be in the presence of Jesus. I, I know in my head and I know in my heart and I can know the claims of Jesus. Look, you can know the Bible. You can know information about Jesus. You can know details of the word of God. You can know about the Holy Spirit and it can be totally academic. It can totally be cerebral. It can just be doctrine. But truth is actually a person. His name is Jesus. And he's given us his spirit and his word. The son of God. And that is not academic. That's personal. He's a person. And you and I have to know him. We have to know him. You know, it's the same with the word of God. This isn't just a book to be admired, people of God. It's like, wow, it's full of great information. This is not a book that I pick and choose and go, oh, I like this and I don't like this and I'll apply this and I don't like this. Throw out this part, keep this part. No, the psalmist said this, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Paul said this to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 113. He said, you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And you believed in him and were sealed by the Holy Spirit. But Paul, Paul says this, this word is good news. This word is your salvation. And Jesus said, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is the truth. See, God has given us his word that, that we might be saved and that we might be sanctified. That means that he would set us apart. You know, be holy as I am holy. His word sanctifies us. His word sets us apart. And he's given us his word for that very purpose. That's why, again, the psalmist said, I've hidden your word in my heart so that I won't sin against you. I'm setting, I hide your word in my heart because my life is to be set apart unto you.
And the Holy Spirit is the truth. Jesus said, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. See, because the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth, and he lives in us, the Spirit of God lives in us, it means this. He's given us this ability to distinguish between truth and between between truth and error, between right and wrong. And it's interesting because John's going to start to go here in this letter. You remember in John, when we were in John, the uh, first John, boy, what a challenging letter it was, but I sure enjoyed it. And first John chapter four, verse six, John tells us that there is something called the spirit of error. Error. Being wrong. And we've been given the spirit of truth. And so the spirit of truth is to help us to discern between error and truth. John's an interesting character because we, you know, you, you, I think back to 1 John again or, or just any of the writings of John. You know, John talks about love. They say this about John, that John talks about love more than any other biblical writer. And it's for that reason he's been given this title, the apostle of love. That's what he's called, the apostle of love. But you know what Jesus called him? Jesus called him a son of thunder. We've given him the name, the apostle of love. Jesus called him the son of thunder. And it's interesting that John would be called both the apostle of love and the son of thunder. Like, you know, whoa. He'd be an interesting guy to be around. Because those are two very different descriptions. And when we talk about love, and John talks about love. He talks about love a lot. You know, it's like easy to talk about love and be sentimental and touchy-feely and emotions and tender and mushy and soft and all of this kind of stuff. But John was also the son of thunder. The son of thunder. And he talks about identifying the spirit of error and we're gonna, we're gonna see this. He's gonna talk about this with this, this church, I think it is. You know, we, we see error in our culture and in church culture and we kind of tend to have this sense a little bit more that, you know, we, we say, well, you know, I see something's off there, but I'll love that person rather than be honest. Uh, I'll love in this situation rather than be the voice of reality in this situation. You know, we live in this age and time where we say what well, truth is relative. That means this, that what's true for one person might not be true for another person. The world embraces this thinking. They embrace the thinking of Pilate. What is truth? What is truth? They embrace the philosophy of Pilate over the word of Jesus who said, I am the truth. I am the truth. You know, the scripture says about Jesus that he was full of grace and truth. And, and I think that John in some sort of way reflected that. You know, he's the apostle of love and he's the son of thunder. And, you know, 1 John was this really fun letter to go through because John mixes this voice of like uncompromising truth. You can't weasel out of things that he says. And yet he's like this tender father at the same time. This loving shepherd. This church. And we saw that he spoke truth to motivate, not to bring condemnation, but to bring conviction, to motivate the people of God. 
You know, John was not the kind of guy who would say, you know, well, you know, all religious teachings are, you know, they've got truth to them in some way or another. John was not the kind of guy that say, well, we shouldn't be critical of people because we shouldn't be critical of that teaching because, you know, they're sincere. Look, you can be sincerely wrong. And what John is going to get into is the fact that truth matters for the people of God, for the elect lady and her children, the church and the body of Christ. Truth matters. It matters and it has to be practiced. Check out verse 4. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one that we have heard from the beginning that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, and so that you should walk in it. So John reminds us, I think it's a church. You know, I'm getting more convinced as I'm standing here right now. <laughs> John commends this dear lady for, for walking in the truth, and then he reminds her, you're walking in the truth. I want to remind you, he says, about the command to love. Because love and truth are like this beautiful combination. This beautiful combination, it's like, I don't know, yeah, it's like the dynamic duo of God's body and love and truth. What happens if you, you have truth and you take away love? Man, then you get harsh. You get legalistic. You get heavy-handed. What happens if you have love but you don't have truth? Well, I would say that's like just danger. That is just dangerous to have love and to not have truth. It's like going to the doctor and the doctor finding out that you have like terminal sickness. And the doctor says, well, you know, I hate to do that. You know, I, 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 I don't want to tell this person I love this person. I'm not going to tell them they're terminally ill. That's like just dangerous. That's like awful. That's like, that doctor is going to lose their license when, when word gets out that they're not speaking the truth. Truth and love. You know, love is not mush. Love is not mush. I mean, if there was one thing we saw in 1 John, it was this, is that God defines love. Love does not define God. God defines what love is. And biblical love is a choice. And John says this, that this, that this is love, that we walk according to the commandments, that love expresses itself in obedience. And there must be this balance between love and truth. We love, but we do not set aside truth. Because if we set aside truth, who are we setting aside? Jesus, his word, and the Spirit of God. You know, Solomon said it this way. He said that better is open rebuke than hidden love. Solomon said, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. 
You know, when you think about truth, I, I'm always reminded of what Jesus said. He, he said this. He said, deal with the plank in your own eye before you try to pull the splinter out of your brother's. You know, often when I'm like, I just sense, oh man, I gotta bring truth here. I make that my prayer. I'm like, God, if there's a plank in my eye, you gotta help me. You gotta deal with it. We need truth. And love without truth makes us dangerous. We're dangerous in a not good way. All around we, we see churches that have love and they don't have truth and they're dangerous. You know, I was reading, reading uh, some articles this week, just found it interesting, you know, the young missionary who was killed by the Sentinels and people there. And, and so he's taking lots of criticism and, and shots and I was reading one article, I think, it, I think it was the Globe and, yeah, it was the Globe and Mail uh, just yesterday. And... Uh, forgot what I was going to tell you. It's not in my notes. <laughs> oh. It's Gonzo. Uh, a, young, a young missionary fellow, about 26, really f- sensing that he was called. Have you guys heard about this? Some of you have seen it in the news. Feeling uh, that he was called to the Sentinelese people in um, the Bay of Bengal or Bay of India, whatever, Indian Ocean. And this is a people group that has not had outside contact from the world, and the Indian government has forbade outside contact. It's been prohibited. It's illegal. They don't want to expose them to, you know, white man disease and all that kind of stuff. And so this young missionary fellow believed that God had called him to reach out to them. He had been in contact several times, hired fishermen, paddled his way, got to this little island, and uh, they, they killed him about 10, ten days ago. He landed on the island and they uh, shot him full of arrows and they killed him. And now there's this argument about, you know, was it ethical? Was he doing the right thing, bringing the gospel to these people? And, you know, I know there's a lot of things, a lot of discussion in that argument. Uh, It's just interesting. It's like an interesting ethical thing. And, and this young man felt a call. A call from the Lord. And so does the rules of culture and nations matter when God's called you to preach? I don't know. I, I don't think so. And uh, that's what I would say. And so I think it's very admirable that he's a martyr for the faith. And God is going to use this for his glory and for his name and uh, I know what I was going to tell you. The Globe and Mail was quite critical, and they said this. They said, you know, Christians, the church is shrinking. The church is shrinking in North America. It's shrinking in North America, and here and now they go and do this. And, you know, this church where this young man comes from has a responsibility. They're crazy, this, that. You know, this was the Globe and Mail saying this. And I read that, and... Uh, it was an interesting article, and here's where the arth- author was wrong. Uh, not all churches are shrinking. The churches that are shrinking are the churches that bring mushy love and not truth. Statistically, that is correct. Yeah, praise the Lord for that. 
Churches that are preaching the word of God and declaring the biblical Jesus, son of God and son of man, Emmanuel, God with us, teaching the word of God as truth, teaching the spirit of God as the spirit of truth, are not shrinking. They're not. The statistics. So whenever you hear that, you have to filter that correctly. What are the churches that are dying? The ones that have departed from the truth. And what John is telling us is truth matters, church. Truth matters. It matters. You know, when a doctor finds disease, they deal with it. You deal with it. And any doctor who doesn't is dangerous. And any church that departs from the truth is dangerous. Call them what they are. Call them what they are. You know, when truth and love come into conflict, truth is to be predominant. This is important. When truth and love come into conflict, it's truth that is to be predominant. You know, the scripture says something interesting. Faith, hope, and love, these three remain, right? The greatest of these is love. What is left out of that? Truth. If truth comes into the scenario, the argument is different. Truth comes to the forefront. Truth comes to the forefront. It has to be done in love, but it comes to the forefront. And when they're in conflict, truth and love, truth is to be predominant. It gets priority. We do not surrender the truth for the sake of love. That's what John's going to tell us here. We do not surrender truth for the sake of love. So John says to this dear lady, I rejoice greatly that you are walking in the truth. And I command you, don't forget love. Don't forget love. But then he gives a word of caution, verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win the full reward. What does John say? He says, watch out. Watch out. There are many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. We acknowledge that here. Emmanuel, God with us, man. It's the first Sunday of Advent. He came in the flesh. The son of God. Son of God and son of man. And John says, watch out for these people. These teachers who say Jesus did not come in the flesh who say that Jesus won't come in the flesh again at his second coming. They, they tell people, yeah, you know, don't get too serious about Bible prophecy. Don't look for the physical return of Jesus. They tell you, oh, Jesus wasn't fully God and he wasn't fully man. No, just the, the spirit of the Christ came upon him at his baptism and departed from him at, his, at the cross. I mean, are there teachers and groups that say such things? Yes. Absolutely. We just have to, we're dealing with it. The Jehovah Witnesses are one. Right off the hop, children of God. You, you, have to, you have to know, the witnesses say that Jesus came, but he didn't come in the flesh. They say that his second coming has already happened, but he didn't, he didn't come in the flesh. He appeared in the spirit to, to the Watchtower Society and he revealed himself to them. They're in error. It's wrong. It's unbiblical. It's not truth. They're deceived. They've been tricked. What would John say? 
He'd say such a one is a deceiver and the antichrist. That's tragic. You have different new age teachings or different churches that, that have departed from the word of God. This is where they go. Always to attack Jesus. In, even as we saw in 1 John. So John. John says here to this church. He says watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for. And may win a full reward. Look at what John just warns is this. Is that you can lose full reward. He's saying church hold fast to the word of truth. Hold fast to the word of God. Hold fast to Jesus. Hold fast to the Holy Spirit. And what the Spirit teaches about Jesus. Fully God, fully man. Emmanuel, God with us. We hold fast to that. And the warning here is not, it's interesting. He doesn't say, you know, you're going to lose your salvation. He says, you're going to lose your reward. You're going to get taken off track. You're going to go this way or that way. This teaching is going to pull you. It's going to twist you. It's going to take you in a different direction. Look at verse 9. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Boy, again, John, just son of thunder. Doesn't mince any words in his gracious, loving way. He just says it. And the warning here, he says, there's, there, there's, a, there's a danger. You can go beyond the limits of the word of God. And the warning is don't run ahead too far. Don't go beyond the assigned limits. It's a false progress. You know, those who, who are in error, they love to make, they love to speak of the church and they say, well, they're, they're kind of stuck, you know. We're like progressive. We like moving forward. You know, the church has been in this rut and, and they've missed certain things and I just have an understanding of these things. And there are those who are always teaching you know, something new and exciting. Love to share about how they're having, you know, maybe progress and, and learning these things. But in, in that path, they abandon the doctrine that Jesus is the Christ. You know, they abandon that Jesus is the Son of God come in the flesh. Look at verse 10. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. Holy smokes, John. Like we, we don't talk about this very much, do we? If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. You know, John's writing to the first century and, and there were these, you know, traveling preachers at that time, traveling evangelists, traveling church planters, whatever they were. And, and the church would take them in, just like, you know, we do at different times. We have a missionary come through and we house them or host them or a guest speaker and we house them and we host them. And, and John is warning, like, look, if they don't preach Jesus, don't. Don't have them. You know, the first question that you, you want to ask any teacher, any preacher, any author, any TV person, what do you think about Jesus? What do you think about Jesus Christ? Is Jesus the Son of God come in the flesh? And if that person like hesitates or they deny that Jesus is God come in the flesh, 
You have a false teacher right there. You have a false teacher. You can identify them. You've been given the spirit of truth. They hesitate on Jesus. I want to give you a direct quote. I read this from John Walvert, and it's really good. He says this. To some modern minds, these instructions seem unduly rigid and harsh. A great part of the problem, however, lies in our modern inclination to be highly tolerant of religious differences. One must frankly face the fact that the New Testament writers did not share this spirit of toleration. Their commitment to the truth and their consciousness of the dangers of religious error called forth many stern denunciations of false teachers. Not surprisingly, this modern age, having having a diminished sense of the dangers of heresy, has lost its convictions about the truth. We live in the age of tolerance, don't we? In church, there's there's, there's something we don't tolerate. We do not lower Jesus, we do not lower the word of God, and we do not lower the spirit of God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, your word, Lord, is truth. So the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And John gives this strong word, man. He says, don't get involved with people that don't believe in a biblical Jesus. Don't get involved with people who don't believe in the literal, physical return of Jesus. Don't get involved with people who do not believe in the authority and inspiration of God's word. Do not get involved with people who lower the spirit of God. I mean, like what what is our relationship to be with false teachers? Those who reject Jesus? Those who are diminishing Jesus and and not looking for his return? John just says they're, they're basically to be shunned. That's the old word we use, right? Which means you just avoid, you ignore, or you, or you reject, or you just make sure your heart stays in that place where it's like, I am going to have this deep-seated aversion of that teaching and to that whatever it is, ministry, church. It's cautious. Because the most important doctrine in the word of God concerns the person and the work of Jesus. He is Emmanuel, God with us. I often think to myself, I'm like, I love that we read Matthew 28. I'm like, I think it's like, in my mind, I don't know. I don't know if it's fair or not, but for me it is. It's like, here's, here's my subjective reality. <laughs> I think God with us is like the greatest promise in scripture. That the Lord would say, I will be with you. And I'll be with you to the end of the age. I'm like, wow, what more do I need? I'm like, God is with me. If I'm in Jesus, it's like, that's what I have. And the most important doctrine in the word of God is the doctrine concerning the the person and the work of Jesus. And if someone is unsound with regards to Jesus, I'll tell you this, they're gonna be unsound everywhere else. Everything else will be wrong if Jesus is wrong. And who tells us this? The apostle of love. It's love to say these things. So John says this, we'll wrap her up here. 
Verse 12, though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. You know, tough words from John, but they're like good words, right? He, he even says, he says this, he's like, I want to talk more about this. I would like to write more about this, but, you know, let's wait until we're together face to face. And, you know, it's interesting because when you talk about, like, the balance of love and truth, it actually raises more questions than it does answers. I don't know about you. I'm like, oh, shoot, well, what do I do over here? Well, what do I do over here? Well, how do I deal with this? What do we do in this situation? It's like more questions get raised. It's not, it's not like, oh, okay, well, everything's like totally clear now. It's like, sick. Now I have to like bring truth somehow to this situation or I have to be truth or I have to apply this to my life. And, and so when you're talking about this balance between love and truth, I mean, well, John just says this. He's like, oh, there's so much I could write about it. This would just be better. Let's get together face to face. That's what he says. And, and I, don't, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm positive that you're the same as me. You know, I wonder about certain things when I think about this. I'm like, okay, well, what about, Lord, people that are sincerely tricked? What about people that are sincere and yet deceived? What about a little island where the gospel has never been preached? What are you going to do there, Lord. And there's like certain things that you could talk about forever and forever and it's like you could write about them. But when will we know? When we're face to face. When we're face to face, that'll get all cleared up. When we're face to face with the Lord, you know, well, the Lord would just say to you, look, I know there's stuff you don't understand, but everything will make sense when we're face to face. It all will. And in the meantime, John says this, in the meantime, while you're unsure, take care of the things that you know. Let's not talk about what we don't know. Let's take care of the things that we know. We know Jesus is reality. We know the word of God is true. We know the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And the warning Stay away from those who preach other stuff, who preach a different Jesus. John says, walk in the truth and don't abandon love. Be obedient to the commandments. Amen.